This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Over the next few episodes of American Enough, we celebrate pride. As communities, cities, states, even mayors all over the country stand up unwaveringly to declare that love is love, they also celebrate the inclusive policies and steps and strides that we've taken as a country to protect the LGBTQ community. At the same time, we focus on some of the setbacks, the policies, and the rhetorics that have all too often pushed us from a point of progress into regressive thinking about how people should be or what identities and labels they should fit in. Joining the pod today is fashion icon, Vogue model, and Instagram influencer, Richie Shazam Khan who uses a very unique type of radical self-candor on fashion runways around the world to make a point that gender is not exactly what it seems and that fluid gender nonconformity can actually be its own brand of activism when it comes to the debate around inclusivity and a dialogue around progress. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. I'm coming to you today live from the 86th meeting of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, an annual gathering of over 200 big city mayors, small city mayors from across the country to talk about the issues of the day that are affecting their communities. And even though many of them are focusing on developing their workforces or investing in transportation infrastructure or even figuring out how to build a world in a city with driverless cars, in just a few minutes at 12 o'clock Eastern time, all of the mayors are going to be marching in Boston's annual Gay Pride Parade celebrating Pride Month. The interesting aspect of mayors is that cities often represent views of identity. You have rural identities, you have suburban identities, you have urban identities. And in many respects, a lot of what represents America is a tapestry of all of these different identities. But in, put a different way, each of these identities oftentimes put each of us in a box. The views of how maybe an individual who grew up with blue-collar working parents in South Bend, Indiana, and their attitudes of how somebody who grew up in San Francisco, California, are bound to be very different. That sense of who we are because of where we're from or being boxed into a particular identity because of certain labels has in many ways defined America's identity, but in other ways hampered it. How do we make sure that there are ways in which these labels don't need to necessarily be binary, but instead can be fluid so that identity can be informed by meeting one another and representing ourselves in our truest form? Even further, that corridor, that American identity, there are mayors, corporate CEOs, celebrities, musicians, people giving speeches at the Oscars, all of who lend their voice to what identity should mean and does mean day to day. But very few of them are able to define who they are, but by how they are. Just their very mere presence in the world, the way they put themselves out in the world, the way they represent themselves as work, being able to define a fluid and evolving and bold and authentic identity becomes harder and harder when each of us are trying to maintain a certain rapport for a certain audience. But for Richie Shazam Khan, that's actually a little different. Because according to Richie, he likes to show some leg. 
He likes to be able to define who he or she or they or any pronoun that we're all too often trying to use can be by simply being that person, not unencumbered, not held by any benign label, but simply by being them. As an Instagram influencer, sorry, as an Instagram influencer, queer activist, model, celebrity, savant, and just incredibly thoughtful friend to all of those around him, in a world of labels, Richie rejects all of them. But still, one can't help but be inspired by who Richie is and who Richie tries to represent simply by rejecting labels, being fluid, and being who Richie is. So Richie, welcome to American Enough. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I hate to ask this after I just said that maybe we're better off informing our identity by rejecting labels, but as you sort of see the world, um, maybe we'll just start with a, a basic question of how do you kind of see your identity of either what makes you uniquely you or what makes you an American? Um, and I ask that because many individuals have been inspired by your work, um, not just on the runway at fashion weeks around the world, but also about the way that you are an activist for those that sometimes don't have a voice, particularly the queer, the LGBTQ community. But your activism and representation of who we should be extends far beyond that. And for every one of those uh, Richie Shazam Khans that exists, and for every set of mayors that marches in the gay pride parade, there are also tough setbacks, like a recent Supreme Court decision that you know weighed in favor of someone discriminating against baking a cake for a for a same sex couple. So, do you see yourself as someone that's uniquely a person that is defined by a label of activism, or do you see yourself as someone who's uniquely defined by your American experiences, or is it not, none of the above and something bigger than that? Wow, this is a very loaded question. I have so much I want to say. <laughs> Just an easy one to start with. <laughs> no, I'm really happy that you touched on so many things that I'm very compelled by and are big agents in my identity and how I identify in American ideals. I am a gender nonconforming individual of color. That means I do not abide by society's traditional rules or gender binary. I am male bodied, but I dress and identify in a way that is different than my assigned, assigned gender. Um, my parents are of West Indian descent. And that's on top of me being a gender nonconforming individual. I am a person of color. A little bit more to further because I know this is audio and not a visual. So for people who do not know what I look like, essentially I do not present as being white or white passing. I do not have Caucasian features. I'm brown, dark skin. I have chest hair, which can be seen through when wearing a dress. Um, I um... <laughs> And for anyone who, sorry to interrupt, for anyone who's listening to this right now, you need to immediately Google Richie and Vogue because you will find a very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. But continue, continue. Thank you. Um, I definitely feel I am on the front lines, which is very complex and complicated. I want to be able to exercise my right to exist and to be free. And there are many realities that I have to embrace. And the systematic oppression that affects the gender nonconforming community and the trans community 
we're often silenced. And I want to, through being visible, I want to sort of dispel any or rumors or anything that people may feel or have and show that being a gender non-conforming individual of color is powerful and it's our funda fundamental right to be free and to exist. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful to have this moment to speak and to have people hear my voice. It's very... And how did you... Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, I, I was just going to say, for, for those that ha aren't familiar with your work day to day, um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got the profile that you did? You, you are an incredibly talented soul in the world of fashion and beyond. Um, and you've, you've used that, that stage that you have, as you said, to lend your voice um, in the way that you're raised, either through, um, you know, your immigrant parents from the West Indies or influences growing up in Queens or anything in between. What sort of led you, you think, down to the, to the path and the career that you chose? Was that something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or do you think it was an extension of sort of trying to assert that gender nonconformity in a business or an industry that, you know, is very often boxing in gender by way of clothing and wardrobe? Absolutely. Definitely growing up in a working class community in Queens and being a first generation American, I have my own set of complexities within that bubble. Um, you know, I didn't have to go through immigration or having to cross a border or have to learn a new language. I grew up in this community that was a melting pot of so many different cultures and identities, and it inspired the person that I am today and sort of manifesting my identity and this authentic track sort of happened organically. And there was no, it, it was a culmination of my passions, you know, working in art and fashion there sort of early on, I was able to find my loving, supporting, supportive community. You know, a lot of my brothers and sisters in my, my gender not conforming, conforming community under this queer umbrella, they don't have, they don't have that privilege to be sort of aligned in an arena that supports them. And that's why I've, in my own manifestation, I've found it very important to discuss these things that are so important to me. Um, yeah, definitely the complexities of Growing up as a first-generation American, having to help my parents acclimate, as well as, you know, difficult, it being difficult growing up as a person of color, it was just a lot of added-on stresses in my identity formation. Very hard to, like, come out to them, and the process of teaching my family this new vocabulary was very difficult, and it's still difficult to this day. Um... And that, you know, that's something that many gender nonconforming people face and when they come out and having to explain to their families what is happening and who they are. And it's, it's difficult because our parents are coming from a different generation. And, yeah. and I, was, um, I was embodying an identity that my parents could not conceive of. In Guyana, me presenting like this is non-existent and it's essentially a death sentence. My parents and my family, they lack the cultural framework 
to understand what is happening. And for me, in my own processing of American dream ideals, I too have to work really, really hard and educate the people around me, whether it's through visuals, whether it's through my words, and giving, giving, giving distance time to grow and not expecting overnight changes to happen within my family. And obviously I was able to find my chosen family in the career paths that I've gone through and have been so, have been supported and loved. And there's this beautiful intersection between IRL and URL where so many people of all different ages on the spectrum have reached out to me, you know, seeking advice, seeking help, seeking words of encouragement to exist. And that's helped me to build my own strength because at the end, at the end of the day, I still am riddled with so much fear. It's, you know, walking down the street every day and presenting how I deem my identity for that day. There comes so much risk, you know, at first it can be a mere people staring at, at best is people staring at me or making fun of me or mocking me. At worst, I can be attacked, murdered, or killed. You know, there's a fear in being visible and vulnerable. And that difficulty in public spaces is a, a trigger for so many of the people within my community. And that that is something that I want to address and I want to talk about because, you know, I I think that you know, now as of June 2018, there have been 12 homicides reported of trans Americans that have been killed. And I, I'm essentially a trans woman of color, statistics apply to me in the way that I present. So that, irregardless of what I've accomplished or who I am, I still have to deal with these real things and these real um these things that I cannot escape. And I, um, I, every time I walk on the street, I feel I, you know, there's a, an immediate threat of violence. And that is, that's the truth. That's my truth. And I think that there has to be continual, continuous legislation that reflects this and not rejects these facts because they're, they're real. You, you, you raise an incredibly moving point, which is that your truth is foundationally a, a tough one that you manage and you are exposed to every day. Whereas I think maybe all too often when people, not just in America, around the world, people when they think of um, gender, um, when they think of, um, you know, policy matters around uh, same-sex marriages or court case outcomes or, uh, you know, victories for a quote-unquote community, it, it can almost feel like they're painting everyone with a broad brush stroke, right? Like either you're in a community in which um, gender nonconformity advocacy doesn't necessarily get any attention or it does, or there's a, a new law that passes that protects a community or it doesn't, whereas Big, perhaps even bigger than just those broad strokes is the individual micro actions or even microaggressions yeah. that you experience every day. 
Um, and that's powerful because when you walk down the street, that's definitely, a, as you mentioned, both an opportunity to educate and inform, but it's also a threat. And, and I'm curious, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, you have as you had an incredible career, you've walked uh, Madrid, London Fashion Week, Ashish Spring, you're on the radar of Instagram aficionados, Vogue photojournalists, fashion houses, um, and that's because you did put yourself out there. And I wanted to just use the, the juxtaposition of the walk that you mentioned. When you walk down the street every day, you can feel either emboldened or threatened. What does it feel like when you're walking down um, in a fashion show? Do you feel that given how you've approached your life and how you live your truth, that there is a safer space in those environments, environments that you've seen extraordinary success in? Or do you think from an industry perspective that when you walk there versus walking the streets, that it's just as volatile in terms of acceptance, uh, threat, or, or other points of concern that you might see day to day? Yeah, it's definitely a goosebump-inducing moment of having to be vulnerable and put yourself in that scenario of walking down a runway. And, you know, walking down the runway and walking down on the street, essentially, they mirror one, one another. Granted, one of them is a job, and I am, I am working. And both of them, they are an occupation of having to show up and be present and having to face fears and being vulnerable to the public eye and to the public sphere. And I had to sort of work in a quicker, faster fashion of accepting that these things were hap happening. And, you know, when you are working with all of these people across the globe, there's different cultural standards. There's different things that you have to take into consideration. And it's not just Oh, I'm walking down the street every day in New York. I'm wa I'm walking all these spaces. So this immediate sense of threat or violence is very real and pronounced. And you know, having to educate yourself on policing and where where is it that I can get help or assistance if that threat becomes real and I feel like my life is being threatened. There's so many other things that I have to take into consideration and. You know, it's a double-edged sword. It's it's a blessing, but it's also very fear-inducing and having to possess this strength to overcome and then parallel that with my family of having to work really hard to achieve my dreams and not look, not look in the past or look too far into the future, but be in the present and having to sustain and take care of my needs for today. Definitely, I have this working class hysteria of having to sustain and take care of myself. And that's a, that's something that will never disappear for me. I have to work really hard. I have bills to pay. I have to, I have to constantly find employment. I'm in this crazy arena of freelance and I have to, I have to find things that will be steady and be constant and overcoming a lot of prejudice and discrimination and that's something that so many persons under the gender nonconforming trans spectrum have to face. You know, I'm highly qualified. I've graduated from a top tier university in, in Connecticut, and I, I hold this degree. But still, 
finding a job it's it's so difficult because of people judging me based on my looks and my appearance and especially you know I've been fortunate to work within the arts and fashion and they tend to be places that are more accepting than let's say the trading floor in a finance situation um right and right. so I constantly am having to fight these stigmas and not not take things too personally when I when I get rejected from a job scenario and constantly having to find solution and that in itself is an irritant it's tiring but I can't give up I can't I can't look back I have to keep going how much of that do you think is sort of emboldening or or inspiring almost your your work day to day you know and i ask that because you're absolutely right that all too often appearances um play out negatively in workplaces even for folks that maybe don't even look like you you know discrimination in in hiring practices are all too endemic across sectors, um, whether it's on gender, whether it's on race, whether it's on religion. This very notion of of uh, discrimination in the workplace is a blemish on the way economies work. Um, but for in terms of the spaces that you've pursued, it's interesting because that notion of being judged for what you look like is being met by a pursuit of working in an industry that aims to inform culture, fashion, future aesthetics, um, also based off of what people look like or what people look like in certain clothes or attire. And I'm curious, do you see that? Obviously, this is a passion space for you. You found success in it. But do you see sort of that notion of being hired for a place based upon your looks as almost a... A, a, a nudge to the world to say, this is who I am, this is how I appear, and I want you all to see this and hear me roar? Or do you see this as sort of separate from the symbolism of that, and this is just an area of interest and a passion of, of culture and the arts that's always been there? And the reason I ask that is because it, it might be difficult for you to weigh on your shoulders every day that you have a role that if you want change to occur, you need that change agent to to be you and rest on your shoulders um do you approach work with that sense of burden or is it more about kind of what it is that you're personally trying to get out of it as opposed to what you think society should get out of it or are those not mutually exclusive i definitely think there is a strong tide of this trend that's happening of showcasing people within the queer spectrum it's it's a global it's a global happening and it's happening all across the board and people educating and promoting especially within the month of pride of june it's it's this commercialization that's very in your face and it's undeniable it's happening in all of these spaces and, and places. And I, for myself, I don't want to feel that I am essentially a trend. I, I want to be able to use my appearance as well as my voice and 
my moving image. I want people to see who I am and I want to reach audiences that would not normally see persons like myself. And I want to let them know that I have a story and I, I too, we, we have similar, we've all been in similar situations. We can, we can embrace one another based on human he, humanism. It's we're all facing human issues, and I want to be able to express my authentic truth. And by authentically being myself, I want to inspire other people. And I don't. I think there is definitely a strong moment happening of individuality is being championed and I want this to be a continuing ongoing conversation and a dialogue that is necessary because whether my face is on every single screen of the world people like myself are continuously going to be victimized ostracized and face death, immediate death, immediate danger. And I, I need to use my voice to help people and not necessarily branding myself as an activist. It's through every possible scenario of self-expression, whether it's in any job that I possess, I want, I want to be able to motivate and show people like myself that we too can do this, you know, turn, turning things upside down and just saying we exist we're here and we 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 deserve to be treated equally absolutely yeah and you know that that's very well said and i think that that mere sense of presence right like your own brand of of ra- radical sort of be yourselfness you know to make up a term um almost your mere presence in these environments walking down the street or walking down the runway or talking to neighbors or talking to your family educating strangers all of that just by showing up the way you do comfortable in your skin is kind of denouncing the silence that either folks don't feel comfortable talking about yet for their own reasons or the silence that has plagued conversations around gender nonconformity for far too long. Um, and to be honest, Richie, that should be applauded. And I recognize that it's not come without a fair amount of, you know, intensity and stress and perhaps, you know, ups and downs emotionally. I'm curious, what do you say to those younger generations? Um, I mean, you're quite young yourself, but you do have a very notable and sizable um, Instagram uh, following, which, you know, for for any user of Instagram or non-user, it's certainly popular across age demographics, but certainly draws the attention of, of younger individuals and students. For those that don't have that safe, same brand of radical self-confidence quite yet, or they're afraid to even talk to their parents about who they may want to ask out to a to a middle school dance, or just anyone who just might feel like they are living by themselves, I'm not saying that you need to have their answer to address all of this, but what would you say to them to feel encouraged that that we can be proud about being who we are and that we are here and we should let the world know? Is that something that you've kind of 
confronted as you've talked to even family members who are younger than you or or as you notice that you have a captive audience of listeners and fans and followers what does it mean to you to speak to them directly absolutely no that's that's definitely something that's very important to me and the power to exist freely um is so there's so much anxiety and you know, it's an ongoing thing for myself. I, I may, I may have this air of freedom and being free, but it's a constant internal battle because of the way society makes you feel and having to break free of all of that is something that youth, people of all ages feel. And for instance, whenever I hang I spend time with my niece and my nephew who are little children and my mere presence is evoking questions in them and us spending time with each other is a testament of growth and processing this change and it's effortless and it there 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 are no there there's no coding in in us loving one another and us appreciating one another. It's more of us spending time with one another and authentically just getting to know, giving each other that time and that agency to just accept. And for young people, I feel, I, I found a lot of my community at first online on the internet. I was able to sort of find a vocabulary that fit who I was and kind of gave me immediate relief in giving me answers. And then as I got older and was able to progress and process who I was I, or who I am, um, I became more comfortable and it, it, it was with time. So I always, my, my biggest advice is just to give yourself time and that you will be able to feel as free as, free as possible with time and that that's very important um your community is there it exists there are other people just like you and they may be in a a sprawling city or in a small town it they, they are there and you will you will encounter them you will find them and we are here and we we are you know that's why visibility is so important because it allows us to it allows us to see other people that mirror our own truths and that sort of internal oppression or silencing that happens, it slowly dissipates because, you know, we, we face this reality of it just being so hard to go out in the world. There's so much of us just having to overcome that daily and that it just takes a complicated form but I, I hope to I hope to continue to inspire, but I also hope to, you know, speak directly with young people and let them know that just give yourself time. That's that's a very poignant way of viewing it because I think all too often people assume you, you know, I, I friends of mine even for example have almost 
poo-pooed or chided somebody who may, for example, quote unquote, still be in the closet and they, you know, encourage them to be out and proud and, you know, talk to whoever they need to talk to to be comfortable in their own skin, which is maybe a fair encouragement from friends and family. But if they're not ready, if they're not, you know, pursuing any type of life that they want to pursue on their own timeline, that can really be crippling of forcing to live yet another inauthentic version of oneself, right? And that sense of time um, has also kind of dictated not only individually how people tend to, to, you know, evolve into themselves, but also nationally as a people, as a country, timeline has been of the almost the the kind of a discouraging aspect you know it's taken nearly 200 years in our history to to even be able to commercialize something like pride right yeah um and or it's taken 200 years to even come up with supreme court cases that you know celebrate marriage equality i'm i'm wondering from your per- perspective of all the progress that we've seen and all sort of the setbacks in unfortunate rhetoric or or violence against um, young individuals who who may look different from others, has the timeline of the nation moved fast enough, or is your point about everyone taking one's own time individually? Is it fair that that applies also to a deliberative democracy that's trying to figure out who it is and how it can be? Uh, I I completely agree with the second statement of it just sort of within democracy being able to allow the truth to mirror the politics i don't know if that makes sense but i um i know that for for instance you know with this commercialization of pride you know we have to look at the harsh realities and the harsh statistics that show queer hate crimes being on the rise against LGBT community and impacting impacting most heavily trans people. And, you know, for instance, the the anniversary of the Pulse shooting is approaching. And that's, those are real aspects of where we are as a nation of how much work still needs to be done. And for myself, coming from this working class, American dream striving family, I have, I, I in, in turn have so much work to do. And I was able, from a young age, I was able to use my intellect and be inspired by reading and writing and expressing my emotion through public spaces and institutions like the library and then going, finding, finding the right elements that allowed me to exercise the things happening in my brain and trying to find hope, you know, and now especially we have to sort of come together and work work as a nation to help one another and to overcome these traumas and know that, you know, within every single family, there are persons that exist like us and we need to give them the tools necessary to exist 
and we have to make reforms and protect one another. And, you know, I, I'm filled with sadness when I think of Pulse because for me, I came of age on the gay nightclub dance floor. That, those were one of the first spaces where I felt at home. I felt at peace with all of my own internal politics and being able to express myself freely and exercise my right, you know, I feel like it was taken away from me. I don't know those victims personally, but I know them. They are me. We are, we are each other. We mirror each other. And, you know, it, it's so real and it's something that we have to look upon and find solutions. Yeah, I, I think that, that that notion of of looking at, at it in, in its totality is probably both an instructive um, insight for as, as a citizen or as even a thought leader on this issue. So that way folks can not only balance taking their time with, you know, adjusting and evolving on issues, but also balance it against the, the urgency of needing to act in certain circumstances because those those two don't necessarily need to be mutually exclusive. I I am curious though because an extension of, you know, that time horizon of about 200 years of of our country's history getting to where we are today being, you know, on this Saturday morning a a, a chant a backdrop of 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 at least Boston Pride's uh, Boston's Pride Parade. Um one sense of, of progress really harkens back to the identity of, of people, not just Americans and, and gender. And I, I wanted to ask you this at the top. How do words and word choice, like when you speak to your niece and nephew, how big of an impact are they having on just the way that children or, or anyone really at, a, at different points in time are able to, to reconcile things like a fluidity of, of identity or gender nonconformity are the very mere pronouns of him and his or hers and that 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 all sort of are rooted in specific gender binaries is that harmful um or is that fine and that there needs to be room and space for folks to acknowledge other types of pronouns i'm just curious how words and rhetoric are also sort of implicating this sense of identity beyond just sort of the mere discussion about equality and access to opportunity, no matter what you look like or who you love. Absolutely. I think words and rhetoric are very important tools and give us agency to express who we are. And I definitely, I feel like, my existence, especially my relationship with my niece and my nephew, it's this shift and this change of my ability to be who I am and to be authentically myself in front of them and letting them letting them have an opportunity to ask me questions and to give them give them the opportunity to see difference and to accept difference. And it's about a I, I believe it's about something larger and giving them the tools to for themselves as well and how they identify so they know that they're not stuck in a binary or stuck in having to identify in a certain way because it's a it's a reflective a reflexive exercise of us being able to say oh this is who I am and this is what I like and you know Richie 
wears these clothing and is this person, but is not stuck in this label. You know, I want, I want them to be able to be able to see that, but also be able to dispel that in their brains and, um, and be able to look at me and not, not be so pressed to put a title on me and vice versa. I want them to know that I love and accept them for who they are, whatever that may be. And that's something that, you know, trying to, trying to voice and articulate and educate people of all ages and from all walks of life. It, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes a lot of energy. And I'm in, I'm in a position where I'm constantly having to reconcile that and not getting so, not not getting so hurt by by the words that people put on me and just letting it go and just speaking up for myself and saying this is who I am you know these are all acts of resistance and when you resist from the societal constructs it it's a very cumbersome situation and I'm constantly having to be open and be flexible and I, I want I expect that from people as well. I want them to be flexible with me and be able to have this exchange, which I think is important. And I think that, you know, that's that's the time. Yeah, that, that sense of change is, you know, often kind of um as we mentioned earlier, on different timelines and time horizons. And I guess I sort of you know, just personally, and I know that this is maybe an unfair question, but, you know, from where I, I stand as someone who identifies as a male, as someone who identifies as, you know, the son of, of Indian immigrant parents, who identifies as straight, it may be very easy for me to kind of fit myself in my own boxes. But perhaps by way of doing that, I, I am advancing some of these these concerns, right? Like as you mentioned that that you may have when you interact with your niece or nephew, um, in terms of rhetoric and nomenclature and labels. But the the one thing is that has started to inflame me is that even though I am not an immigrant and my parents immigrated here legally, when I see this administration or really just Americans in general blaming a lack of opportunity on the fact that immigrants are in our country or trying to ban immigrants just because of their country of origin or even their religion. That has incensed me, incensed me and got me really, really motivated to speak out and do something and represent something. And I will admit I have not done nearly enough or gone nearly far enough in doing that, but I say that because derivative of my parents is this sense of America being an immigrant nation. And that makes me wish that we moved faster to resolve those differences. From where you sit, you are those things. You, you, you come from an immigrant family. You are a person of color. You are a minority. There are many areas of focus that you could be lending your vision, your voice to in terms of moving progress further along. But in the same way that I sort of stand up and, or want to raise my voice when I see an injustice in the world, you've occupied this space in which you've seen injustices time and time and time again, whether you're walking on the road or whether you sort of see it from, from the voice emanating from the Oval Office. How, how does that 
sort of make you feel as an American in this country? I mean, you are rightfully here. Many would argue that you are experiencing or living out an American dream by by pursuing the sort of visibility and fame and notoriety that many individuals would, would love to have or, or have a taste of. Um, and yet that injustice swirls around you and your peers and, and communities across the country every day. Does that anger you? Or is that, since it's always been a part of what you've experienced, is it sort of dealing with it in a level-headed, or not non-level-headed, but clear-eyed way in which you're you're sort of trying to do the best you can, represent who you can be authentically and radically show the world that there are different types of humans out there. I guess I'm just curious, and I'll stop rambling, I saw something being thrown at immigrant communities and I got pissed and tried to start saying something. This is, in my mind, a more, not a recent event, but it was animated by recent events by the travel ban and things like that. You've seen this hurl against the community since day one on this earth and you've been pissed how do you sort of reconcile that how do you not just stay angry but continue to be sort of a contributing person in this world maintaining your identity and informing others does that make sense yeah absolutely it's you know understanding that my representation is rupturous and it's causing eyes and minds to shift there is For me, it's essential on a human level to bridge communities and to organize and taking these risks and fighting through, fighting through all the things that are happening, you know, that are very toxic and harmful. And that comes in like owning my queerness and being a West Indian person of color, first generation, there, there's so many layers layers and levels of stress and you know this like diasporic trauma of identity of like having to fit into a box and you know having to educate everyone starting from my biological family to my constructed family and you know trying to find spaces that give me this reciprocal support and then feeling that so many regressive legislative policies are happening that are silencing me and taking away my rights and it's it's so much and it fills me with so many emotions but I know that I'm not I'm not invisible that I am enough of a person and I am American I am an individual and I think that it's it's just fundamentals that I have to constantly reiterate to myself to give me this push this urge to continue to resist in my day-to-day and then whatever else in my own whatever else is meant to happen for me will happen for me and that there is this incredible fluidity of American identity and this narrative that we're, we're currently working to showcase and we're we're um whether it be, it's on all levels, but mainstream is, is embracing us. And this historical lineage of queer politics and fighting for our rights is ingrained in me today. And those are things that I am very passionate about and embracing my predecessors and, you know, the continuous fight of having to be present and 
come together as a community, but also getting people that are not in our community, our allies and people that may not be familiar. And that's why we do the things we do within like the arts and fashion. It's, it's about a larger conversation. And I personally feel that there's only so much reposting and reblogging that one person can do because it works and then it doesn't work. It's about actually being present, being vocal and congregating in IRL spaces and showing, showing it to our communities and showing it to the world that we are embracing who we are and resisting that that sense of resistance has taken such a a powerful term and or or word especially in in the last year and a half two years um it, it is definitely you know this last week june 5th um california had its primary election one of the most largest elections in the country in this 2018 midterm year. And even the the candidate who is running for governor who received the most votes notably said in his election night speech that California is the, the, the face of this resistance. Different communities around the country, whether it's cities, states, uh, interest groups, um, gender nonconforming groups, uh, parental advocates, pedestrian advocates, they all are aiming to resist the sort of tough and backward and regressive, as you said, issues and and views and policies of our time, while at the same time trying to harmonize and reconcile their views with those that they maybe disagree with. Um, I think, Richie, that you should be applauded for for being exactly who you are, representing it so boldly, and frankly, leaning into a space in which every day, it's not just about one month a year where folks celebrate pride, but every day you are owning your truth, being about that truth, and and perhaps even running into frustrations about that truth among friends, family, and strangers. So I want to thank you for even sharing your soul in this conversation. But I, but I guess I, I wanted to ask one last question, and that is for all of those disparate groups, for all of those disparate interests that are fighting a resistance of their own, whether it's a resistance in the Trump um, you know, frame of thinking or the resistance that they've known since they've been fighting this fight for decades and decades, there is still a need, there's still a urgency of bridging the divide between those groups' interests and the 63 million Americans who maybe voted for somebody that you or I don't support. Um, there's still a need to bridge the divide between Americans who think that these different views are mutually exclusive. What do you say to them, maybe those that feel like a certain thinking, a certain identity is backwards or regressive in some way? If you could look any one individual or that group of individuals in the eye that maybe don't support you, don't agree with you, um, but they are your fellow countrymen and women by virtue of being citizens and Americans, is there a message you might have for them about being American enough or showcasing the way that you represent your identity? Wow, there's so much that I want to say, but to sort of consolidate my <laughs> my ideas, I I would want I would want to promote and educate my community on every possible platform, and I think that in this shifting of consciousness that's happening, I want us Americans to look within ourselves to really accept marginalized individuals that 
need their support and we have to we have to make changes that we're not dying at an exponential rate we're not being murdered and being killed and really targeting that hate and shifting the way we think about one another it's very you know it's literally about getting to know your neighbors getting to know the people that are around you whether it's watching a program or on tv or talking to somebody on the line at the grocery store it's about lending a hand camaraderie getting to know one another and taking that time and being being willing and to show that willingness we we're all working hard we're all citizens and we're in such a chaotic mind-boggling time that needs 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 us to be sympathetic towards one another and to stop spreading hate and feeling hate and i'm i'm grateful today that i i'm able to express myself and to be free and being grateful for that freedom and i want i want other members within my community to continue to help help one another and to spread awareness, you know, being a person of color, being a first generation American, being all of these things that make me special and make me unique. I want, I want us to know that, you know, these are things that make us powerful and make us, make us human. And I want to continue to use words and rhetoric and visuals to inspire other people to live authentically. And, you know, I think that Americans, we just have to accept one another. Yeah. I think that that, that very notion of building inroads and, you know, sort of connectivity to different communities, regardless of what they represent, underscores something that you just painted a perfect picture of, and that's of empathy. And that unless we start to uh, realize how other people are, their trials, their tribulations, and their triumphs by at least talking to them, reaching out to them, representing who you are, but also understanding how they may be too. That's that's the first step in, in all of this. And it's, it's something that we're learning, you know, through this podcast, you know, with each successive conversation, but something that we're learning, frankly, from you and the way that you represent yourself so boldly, so fearlessly, and, and frankly, with a lot of inspiration for those around us who are looking for ways and ideas to live our, our authentic selves with radical candor. So, Richie, I, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to join the podcast. And, and thanks for being on American Enough. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was, a, it was an honor to speak with you. I'm so happy I was able to have this moment. And I'm, I'm very appreciative. So thank you. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. 
No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.